We are in uh, Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19 today. If you're new here, we're in a series called uh, Come and Stay. And uh, if you haven't been here, uh, we're, we're really loving this series, man. I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm sure some people have problems with it. Uh, I don't know. If you've got a problem with it, will you raise your hand? I'm kidding. Uh, but we're in this series, and we're calling it Come and Stay. And here's some of the taglines we're given every single week just to center us and remind us of what we're getting into here. In a culture of come and go, in a culture that's, that's often non-committal and just a little ADD, we're trying to say yes to Jesus' invitation just to come and stay. And that's rooted in John 15 where he says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. That word abide in me, abide, is to remain, is to stay. And so we're just trying to be a people that, that come into the presence of God and then we stay there. You know, and then after we've stayed there for a while, we, we just try to stay there a little longer. And so every week we are sitting in silence for 10 minutes after a short teaching to, to literally go, God, we don't want to bring our culture of productivity, our culture of distracted overstimulation into our prayer life. I don't know if you're like me sometimes, the culture in our kind of American Western society that's like, hey, do more, do more, get more done. And then our TikTok brains that are always hopping from one thing to the next, it gets right into my prayer life. So I'll hit my knees and just start praying through long lists and, and then just wondering, was this enough? Did I do it just right? Instead of going like, what if I would just would do that Psalm 47 vibe and just be still and know that God is God? And I mean, what if we had the audacity to go, God, why don't you take the steering wheel for this prayer session? I'm gonna try my best to say and do nothing. And in my nothingness, I am assuming that you have something. And if this 10 minutes doesn't get it done, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back the next day. And at some point, I am deeply with my faith and my action, trusting you're gonna take the wheel. And so that's the idea of come and stay. It's like we're kind of taking the pressure off of us in our prayer lives and going, God, will you lead it? And then we're specifically looking at Galatians 5, because in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. And then Galatians 5, the apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and he just starts breaking down some specific words, which is so helpful for me. It gets real specific, like love, joy, peace, patience. But instead of us getting up here and teaching like, all right, the first fruit is love. Here's how you can be more loving, which would be a, a really helpful conversation, I'm sure. But we're instead going, how has God first demonstrated love toward us? And we're trying to take Jesus' John 15 invitation, and we're, we're going to abide in that. So we've, on the first week, we talked about love, and we talked about the cross of Jesus, a really great starting point if you want to understand the love of God. And we just meditated. Think about the cross. Receive the love of God. And what we're trusting is the better we get at sitting in God's presence— in receiving his love toward us, for that is our birthright, receiving his kindness, receiving his gentleness, receiving his patience, as a consequence, not out of our like hard, concentrated, white-knuckled work, but as a consequence of understanding what is ours to receive, we begin to bear the fruit of love, of patience, of peace. And in this series, we're trying to model like, God, if, if we don't receive it from you, we cannot, on our own strength, give it to the world. Like, Lord knows, in this world we'll have trouble, and we don't always respond well to trouble. We need the Spirit of God to put some stuff in our heart. So anyway, if that didn't make sense, you're about to experience it, I hope. So this week, we are focused on the word kindness. Kindness. Oh, it's going to be a nice week. 
Everyone needs a little more kindness, right? For the first half of this week, I was, I was pretty dead set on John chapter four. It's one of the most like, epic stories of God's kindness because Jesus is thirsty, so he goes to a well and he meets a Samaritan woman. I'm not teaching John four today, so I'm not gonna accidentally teach John four, which I just about did. <laughs> but you know, just a lot of social barriers, a lot of brokenness, a lot of assumptions that that woman probably brought into a conversation with a rabbi named Jesus, and immediately he just flips every worldview she had ever been handed, and she turns evangelist, and basically God uses her to save her whole town. It's pretty crazy what the kindness of God did to her life, but we're not in John 4. As I was uh, on a jog, because I am extremely fit, <laughs> as I was on my first jog in some time, um, I couldn't get the story of Zacchaeus out of my mind because recently I've had some details added to the story of Zacchaeus. It's pretty fun, and I'm gonna try to walk us through it. Now listen, I've been on Mucinex and Dayquil and NyQuil. I'm not, I'm 95% sure I am in no way contagious. I'm sorry that I've mentioned how sick I am. I know we're, are you, do you guys feel safe? I hate how I've started this. Um, all right, but do forgive me. My brain does feel a little foggy. We'll see what happens. Lean in, teach with me, imagine with me this morning. All right, here we go. Um, but yeah, man, I've been thinking about this Zacchaeus story, and recently I figured out that there's some stories before the Zacchaeus story that are intentionally put where they're put to really help us understand how remarkable God's kindness is towards Zacchaeus. And I'm excited for us to, to delve into it. Before we get into Zacchaeus, though, I just have a simple question. And I need you to actually contemplate it. But what do you assume about God's kindness toward you personally? If you're waiting for me to start teaching, I just try to answer that real quick. Like when, when you're going to talk to God, what do you assume about his kindness or perhaps his disposition? Like, what do you have to do to get it? Think about, like, your personality. What, what's some of the bias that just comes with your personality? Some of you might actually be biased toward the kindness of God. It's amazing. Others, maybe like our ones on the Enneagram, our perfectionists, maybe you struggle with understanding what, what makes you worthy of it. Maybe what's your church experience or lack thereof or some conversations with people that you assumed were Christian? What has that informed you about God's kindness? I think that's gonna be important that you carry that with you because as we explore Zacchaeus, he had some stuff too. Uh, I think he had some assumptions too that were handed to him by his culture and by his day. And Jesus, in a really profound way, is going to, in the Jesus way, deconstruct Zacchaeus's preconceived notions about who God is and what his character is. All right, we got three stories today, all in Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. The first is a parable that Jesus tells, and the second is an account, and the third is an account. So we're gonna start with a parable. It's in Luke chapter 18. 9 through 14. 
These are all connected. Luke 18, verse nine. So Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. We can chew on that all day if we want. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. We're off to a good start. It's a gratitude prayer. Gets ugly after. That I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, which makes me think the tax collector is within an earshot of this out loud prayer. (laughs) I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is a parable, okay? Um, But given Jesus's many words toward Pharisees about how they prayed, it's pretty fair to assume this parable was rooted in some version of real, like reality here. Because even in Matthew 6, Jesus warns us, don't be like the Pharisees who pray out loud to get everyone's attention. And so I actually think it's relatively safe to assume that Pharisees prayed prayers like this. Let's go ahead and just keep Zacchaeus in mind here, a tax collector. Like Zacchaeus might have heard prayers like this. Pharisees praying and boasting in their righteousness before God, which is an oxymoron immediately, but they did it anyway. But we, need, we do need to understand who Pharisees were. They weren't great. They were, in fact, extortioners. That's what's so brutal about the Pharisees' prayer. It's not really like the Pharisees lying about who the, Phar- uh, who the tax collector is. Tax collectors, you know, were Jews who worked on behalf of their persecutors, the Roman Empire, to give to Rome what Rome was owed, but then they always went a little bit beyond that. They took a little bit off the top for themselves. Tax collectors were known to take a little bit from everyone in order to get a lot for themselves. There was some real narcissism, selfish ambition, and greed baked into being a tax collector. I mean, it was kind of a part of the job. So this is a tough parable here because the Pharisee is naming real sin, like real, it's a real indictment, and there is a part of, there's partial truth in what he is praying about the tax collector. And then what's so heartbreaking about the parable is the Pharisee was the pastor of the day, the one entrusted with God's word, the holy one, the one that knew God, that knew the word better than everyone else. And so people looked up to Pharisees, and rightly so on some level, they really knew it. And they really did seek to obey the law of God to the T. So they were respected. So this is, when you really do the math, a heartbreaking parable. 
where a tax collector who feels guilty in his sin hears his pastor naming his sin and thanking God that he is not of his sin. I mean, it's, it's a really crazy, crazy thing here. Okay, so we're gonna couch that, that first one. We're switching to a second story that's gonna switch the mood a little bit, okay? Um, Luke 18, verse 18. Another account says that this man that's about to ask Jesus a question says he comes to Jesus and gets on his knees before he asks this question. But a ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is doing a little wink wink right there. Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. (laughs) Oh, you know, Jesus, you sly Messiah. I almost said sly dog, but that doesn't work when you're, that doesn't work. Um, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Notice Luke Lowe's point is out to me on Thursday. He, He didn't mention the commandments about having no other idols before God. Well, here's what comes next. The man says, I've kept all these commands from my youth. When Jesus heard these, he said, okay, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and just come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We all need to soak in that one. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus responds, what is impossible with man is possible with God. All right, so you got a pretty sad story here. I mean, a rich man that wants eternal life asked Jesus. I mean, we're off to a hot start. A guy wanting eternal life asked Jesus to his face how to get it. We're looking up. Jesus tells him, great news but he's got a lot of money. And the thought of giving up money, it just, it's too much to ask. And he walks away sad. And and Jesus names a reality that all of us need to understand is very true. It is really hard to have a lot of money and not to make that your God. It is not sin to have a lot of money, but it's hard to have a lot of money and live in full surrender with God if you're not able to let go of the money. Doesn't mean you have to let go of, you know what I'm saying? Okay, that's not the sermon. All right. So the second story we get with Zacchaeus in our minds, another hurdle. The first hurdle, the religious elite have communicated to Zacchaeus for a long time, he is a sinner, unworthy, unable to receive God's grace, right? The second story is another element. Rich people struggle to live a life fully surrendered to God. It's hard to let go. There's something so appealing about more and more and more. But the disease of more cannot be cured by more. So it's really hard. You gotta let go. You gotta open your hands. You gotta give it up. Okay, that brings us to Luke 19, which to me makes this Zacchaeus story all the more profound with these two stories in the background. Okay. I'm gonna read it once, then I'm gonna read it again and throw in some of my own little details. Luke 19, 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, all right, the boss of the bosses, and was rich. Strike one, strike two. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I wonder if Zacchaeus is peeved that that made it in. <laughs> Look, the whole thing was about rich and tax collector. You don't have to, who cares if I was 5'2", you know? <laughs> so he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Quote, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Remember the parable. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Remember the rich man. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. All right. I'm going to reread this and point out some things that I thought were sweet, and then I'm going to leave it to your imagination and your own prayer time. So Jesus enters into Jericho. I already like this, because Jericho, what happened in Jericho in the book of Joshua? And the walls came tumbling down. All right. And I just thought how real the walls were for, I mean, this is like a pastor metaphor. Like, you know, I really could have one-lined you right here, but surely Zacchaeus had some walls built up. I'll stop there and keep going. Okay. But I could have, you know what I mean? I could have really got us emotional right there. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. Now, hopefully we understand a little bit more what that meant for Zacchaeus and his experience with the temple and with religion. Okay. And was rich. Now we understand the real hurdles between being rich and living a life of surrender, okay. And he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd. So as you picture this moment, you need to picture a crowd. This was not an intimate moment between Jesus and Zacchaeus at the start. Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's walking into towns and being greeted by tens or hundreds or thousands of people, clamoring for his attention, there are sick people that need healing. There are poor people that need ministry. All the outsiders need to be made to feel like insiders because they hear Jesus is the one that does that so well. Because he, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, on account of the crowd. But Zacchaeus could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said to him, I like this. It never says Zacchaeus screamed for Jesus' attention. It seems to me that Zacchaeus was content to watch from a distance from the tree. Like, think about the bleeding woman. She reaches out. Even if she can't give Jesus' attention, she's going she's gonna to touch him. The beggar begs for Jesus. But Zacchaeus, it's, what's he assuming? Why would he stay quiet? This is his one shot. This might be the Messiah, but he stays quiet in the tree. So just imagine a bunch of sick and poor people screaming for Jesus's attention and then a rich, greedy tax collector in a tree not saying a word and who Jesus sees. 
If the cross has never offended you, this should offend you. This is Jeff Bezos up there. What does he need? This is Donald Trump up there. Joe Biden up there. You need to understand it's offensive that Jesus notices the rich tax collector here, okay? This dude has ripped people off for a living. You do not like this guy even if you think you do. You only like him because he's stuck in the Bible and not in your city or your country. That's real. Jesus, thank you, Patrick. That was such a, that made me feel that. (laughs) This guy was not revealed. I mean, even, even the marginalized didn't like that marginalized guy, you know? All right. Zacchaeus, Jesus initiates the conversation. Hurry and come down. I like that. Does anyone else overthink stuff? And sometimes you need someone just to like get you the truth you need and not let your brain start thinking about it. I really like this. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but that's the whole point of meditation. You know, I, I feel like Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, don't even think about it. Come here, come here, come here. I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house. <laughs> don't even think about it. It's really me. I'm really saying this. Let's go. Come down. I also love what the invitation is. It's not even sell everything and follow me. You know, it's, it's, it's not even Zacchaeus, come to the temple. Zacchaeus, come down. I am coming to your house. If you've been in church, you you already know this, but like there was real significance that I'm coming to your house. To say that in this moment, in this era, was saying, I am one of you. There's a reason that people are offended at this. He dines with sinners because to dine with sinners means we share sin together. We share it. I am on your level there is no hierarchy. We are the same, me and you. We are at peace, same team, same dream. And for a rabbi to enter into the house of a tax collector was ludicrous. For a rabbi would, should never stoop so low. But there we are. I'm coming to your house. Okay. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, oh, wait, 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 no, I skipped a part. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Why does he receive him joyfully? He understands what Jesus just did. I'm coming to your house. All the dots are connected. And so he with joy receives him. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who gives to the poor. Or he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So listen, Exodus chapter 22, one and four. This is the law of God I'm about to read to you. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. In other words, if someone steals your animal and then they get rid of that animal, they owe you four times what they stole. If the stolen beast is found alive and within his possession, whether it's an ox, donkey, an ox, donkey, or sheep, he shall pay double. In other words, if you steal something, but they get what you stole back, you just owe them double what you stole. That's the law of God in the Old Testament. What this means is Zacchaeus sits with Jesus and now begins being a disciple. He begins obeying the scriptures. He begins promising. It's not clear in the scriptures if he has stolen and is, is saying, I'm about to go repay, Or if he's saying, this is what I've been doing, I'm a principled man. But it seems clear because Jesus then says, today salvation's come to this household, that a genuine moment of repentance has happened for Zacchaeus. 
His whole life he grew up going, there is distance between me and the word of God. There's distance between me and the temple. There's distance between me and the religious elite. But one dinner with Jesus and he immediately begins obeying the law of Exodus 22. Begins saying yes to God's instruction. It's really remarkable. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to, last thing, seek and save the lost. Who is the instigator? Who is initiating this? Who came to seek? Was it us or him? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who talked to who in the Jesus Zacchaeus story? Who reached out to who? Who was content to stay distant and who was discontent? Okay, so I got some questions that if you need help meditating on this story, you can just carry with you. What are some assumptions or fears that Zacchaeus might have had when he saw Jesus passing through? What is surprising about Jesus in this story? Number three, what leads to salvation for Zacchaeus? How does he get there? Number four, reflect on Jesus's words that he came to seek and save the lost. All right, so like we've done every single week, I'm gonna give you a chance to just take some deep breaths. If it helps you to close your eyes, if it helps you to come to the front and sit on the floor, go to the back or go outside, whatever it looks like for you to get into a focused and relaxed space to meditate on this story and to let God just kind of steer your imagination. There's some things that God might be wanting to reveal to you about his character in this story as well as for your life. So let me be quiet for the next 10 or 11 minutes. We'll have, oh, you have, this is the prompt. If you want some reminders on how to enter into this headspace, we're in Luke 19, one through 10, if you need the scriptures to help bring color back to your mind. So take the next 10, 11 minutes prayerfully contemplate this passage, then I'll come back up.